stop. We got a lot going on at the Gathering Place Church. So again, if you're visiting here today for the first time, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor of the Gathering Place Church. I love this place. It's so alive and full of joy in the presence of God and people texting me in the middle of, of worship and everything. Awesome. Okay. Hey, teenagers and children, you guys are out of here. You have about three minutes to go have a great time. We had a lot going on today. Really appreciate our our leaders that are raising up the next generation, the giant killers. We're in the book of John. We're in uh, John chapter 7 this morning, so if you're following along, you want to be reading the book of John, let Jesus talk to you, get to know him all over again. The book is not a dead history book. It is the living Word of God. And as you read it, the Holy Spirit will make things come alive to you over and over and over again. I've been reading this book since I was 19 years old. I got saved in college at Ohio State University. I'm a Buckeye. And um, I've been, I can read the same verses, the same chapters. I've been doing it for 35 plus years. And you, the Holy Spirit will cause it to come alive every day. So... When you come to this, know that it's your food and your water. Last week we looked at Jesus actually saying in John chapter 6 that he is our food. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you have ever been parched? To where like, you're like, you know, remember, didn't anybody see the Spongebob movie? When Spongebob and Patrick, right? Spongebob is a sponge. Get it? Spongebob. His name's Bob. He's a sponge. And then you got Patrick who's a starfish. And they... They, they're out of water, and the sun starts to scorch them. Yeah, how many of you saw How many of you have kids? Okay, anybody that has kids, I don't need to ask you. For those that don't have kids, all right, great. And, of course, and then, you know, and then it's over, right? And you feel bad. You think it's like this is, their, this is the way they're going to write them out. This is the end of it. I started crying. But then somebody poured some water on them, right? And they came back to life. How many of you ever been parched like SpongeBob and Patrick? Raise your hand. You know, you know when it happens to me? When Hope cooks something and she puts a lot of garlic in it. Right? Anybody experience this? And then about 3 a.m., you're having a dream and you're like trying to scream the name of Jesus, but it won't come out. You guys ever had that dream before? Right? Or, or it's like you're trying to open your mouth and somebody's holding it shut and finally you wake up and you're going, oh, and you realize it's because of the garlic has sucked all the hydration out of your body. You got to get up and chug a glass of water. That's what it's like when you and I try to quench our thirst with the things of this life, things of the world, and not God. Jesus says that he is the water. In the Old Testament, uh, God caused water to come out of a rock in the middle of the desert when God was leading his people out of Egypt. And they didn't have any water and they were parched in the desert. God caused water to come out of a rock. Now, there's no science that's going to explain that. It's a miracle. It's beyond the natural world. Well, the Bible says in the New Testament that Jesus was that rock and is that rock. And the water comes out of Christ. And we're going to look in John chapter 7 today where Jesus actually says this very thing. So, but... Before I go there, I want us to look at Isaiah. Well, no, I'm not going to do it. Let's go to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, starting at verse 37, because we're running short on time this morning. I'm going to jump right to it. 
In John chapter 7, verse 37, it says this, On the last day, the great day of the feast, I'm going to stop and explain to you what this means. Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles is the Jewish festivals. God gave the Jews many festivals, like Yom Kippur started Sunday, uh, this Friday night to Saturday evening is Yom Kippur. It's the highest uh, day of celebration, the day of atonement for the Jewish faith. And this is called the Feast of Tabernacles. That is, the, they celebrate for eight days. They celebrate God delivering them out of the bondage of Egypt when Egypt was the world power and the Jews were the slaves. And God delivered them out of Egypt and brought them into the desert. And he took care of them for 40 years in the desert. He took care of them. Their shoes didn't wear out. Nobody ever got sick. He provided bread from heaven. He provided quails dropping out of the sky. He provided you know, manna coming out of the earth. He provided water coming out of the rock. He turned bitter water sweet. He split the Red Sea. I mean, our God takes care of his people. And so they're celebrating. They've... Thousands and thousands of Jews are coming to Jerusalem for this festival. And it's the last day, the biggest party of the seven to eight day party. And on the last day, what they do is they go to the pool of Siloam and they get a golden pitcher and they fill it with the water from the pool. And then they come to the temple and they pour out the water on the altar and they all ascend to the altar and they start blowing their trumpets and shouting and dancing around yeah and then they quote isaiah chapter 12 so i'm going to go to isaiah chapter 12 real quick and set this up and then we'll come back to john 7 and so in isaiah chapter 12 it's in the old testament right all right here we go isaiah 12 they bring this water pitcher they bring this golden pitcher up to the altar they pour it on. I love how, oh gosh, we don't have to do any of this anymore. Jesus is our festivals. Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our water. It's all so simple now. Gee, everybody say Jesus. I mean, it's just a relationship with Jesus. All these ceremonies, all these, all these traditions and the foreshadowing, all that is over once Jesus came. And this is what Jesus is trying to say to them is, hey, everybody, you don't have to do this anymore. I'm here. And so this is what they would quote when they bring this golden pitcher with the water, pouring it onto the altar. They would quote Psalm 12. Oh, Lord, I praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for Yah. The Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted, sing to the Lord. He's done excellent things. They're saying in that day, you're going to do this. This is known throughout all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitants of Zion. That's the church. For great is the Lord. One of it, the one of Israel is in your midst. Exclamation point. So they, they quote this and they're excited that one day they're actually going to be saying this because it's a reality. Now let's go back to John chapter 7. Jesus is always just stirring it up and causing trouble. And he's about to do it. Then he always waits for like... The, the, the highest day, the holy days, the Sabbaths, the heal people and stir it all up because he's trying to break up 
the religious order and the systems and say, the Messiah has come. I'm right in your face. Hey! And so he's doing that right now. He waits till the last day, the biggest party, the biggest, the pinnacle of the biggest party to do what he's about to do. He's not trying to be obnoxious. He's just trying to, to get them to come to him. On the last day, the great day of the feast, thousands of Jews there. Jesus stood and cried out. He didn't whisper. He didn't ask the, you know, the master of ceremonies. I got something I want to say when the time is just right. No. Look what he does. Jesus stood right in the middle of the ceremony. And he cries out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Like, what? What? They knew what he was saying right there. I am the one you're singing about. I'm the rock you're singing about. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He was saying all the stuff you guys are doing are foreshadows of the real thing. The golden pitcher is your heart. And he's about to say, and the water is the Holy Spirit that will flow out of your heart if you will come to me. Amen. Isn't this great? I'm preaching myself happy up here. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing, everybody say believing. Believing is your door to the experiencing of Christ and his Holy Spirit. You can sit here and say, well, I don't believe it, and you won't experience it. Once you come to a place of faith where you believe that Jesus is, is the Messiah, he's the Savior of the world, and you cross that line, and you ask him into your heart, what you can do today, I'll give you an opportunity just a few minutes, to receive Jesus as your Savior, you will experience what he's talking about right here. I was, I was praying with uh, one of our intercessors, a person that comes and prays a lot. That's what an intercessor is. Uh, Kathy, this morning before church, she was talking about yesterday. How long have you been walking with the Lord, Kathy? Long time. She's not going to tell us. I'm going to say it's been a long time. And she said this morning that yesterday when she was in prayer, she said this peace that she had not experienced in a long time started flowing out of her. Now what she means by that is, see, Jesus says, if you come to me, I will give you peace. And it's not a peace the world can give to you. It's my personal peace that I will give to you. That's what he's talking about here. Peace is one of the rivers. Joy is one of the rivers. Faith is one of the rivers. Vision is one of the rivers. Hope is one of the rivers. Salvation is one of the rivers. Healing is one of the rivers. These rivers of the Holy Spirit literally flowing out of our hearts. It's not a one-time experience. It is for our entire lives while we're on this side of heaven. But listen, he said, whom those believing in him would receive. Because your sins must be forgiven. That's why he goes on to say, For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. What does that mean? 
That means when it says Jesus was not yet glorified, the Holy Spirit was not yet given, is because you and I must have our sins forgiven before God can breathe His Spirit into your soul. Because you and I have a a, a day that we must give an account to God for our sins. Because God is a just and holy God. I mean, how how many of you get upset when you see a known criminal get off? And we call it injustice, right? There's a lot of rioting in our nation right now because of injustices. Why do we think that we can sin against the holy God and just waltz into heaven and the injustice of our sin against the holy God, somehow he's just going to look the other way. It's impossible for him to do so because he is sinless and holy and bright. But he loves you and I so much that he took care of our sin problem by coming to the earth himself in the form of a man named Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who Jesus called himself the Son of God, which means he either was the Son of God Or he thought he was the Son of God, but he really wasn't, which makes him crazy. But God loves you and I so much that he sent his Son to die for you and my sins. And if you would receive Christ as your Savior, then the penalty for your sin is completely paid for. And you get off free. Once you've done that, then he can breathe his spirit into you and you can have the rivers of living water flowing out of your soul. It happened to me when I was 19 years old and the river is still flowing. So then we go into verse 40 and look what happens. And you've got to find yourself somewhere in the next four verses here. Where are you? It says, therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, this is truly the prophet. So some believed at this point that he's a prophet. Verse 41, others said, this is the Christ. Some believed he truly was the Son of God, the Messiah. Some said, but will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So these are, uh, the first ones were seekers. You know, I believe he's a prophet. I wonder if he's more. The other ones are believers. I believe he is the Messiah. These people are just critics. And they're just not going to believe. They're cynical. They're mockers and accusers of the faith. And then it says there was the division among them because of him. And now some of them wanted to take him and lay hands on him. But nobody laid hands on him. Then there was those who actually wanted to murder him. There were those who want to snuff out Christianity. Shut down Christians. Close churches. Where are you in, this, in these four categories here? Are you a seeker? Are you a believer? Are you a mocker? Or are you an anti-Christian? You know, Jesus is not subtle. There are times when Jesus shows up and he makes it so painfully clear who he is that it makes you and I make a decision what we're going to do. I remember when I was, you know, people were saying I ought to go into the ministry and I was doing Bible studies. I'm like, just because I'm doing Bible studies doesn't mean I should go into the ministry. I mean, that's a serious responsibility. And so I resisted and I resisted and I resisted. And then one day I was uh, kneeling in my one-bedroom apartment praying. 
whoosh, the presence of God came in to that apartment. It was one of those times where I don't even want to open my eyes because it's like, you know, you're like trembling in his presence. And he said to me, spoke to my heart and said, if you do not receive your calling into the full-time ministry, you will be in disobedience. I was like, Mufasa. (laughs) I mean, that'll just like go right down your spine, right? And so then I said something back to him. It was really strange. I, I wouldn't have chosen these words that just came out of my mouth. I said, I receive being chosen. I thought, chosen? It's kind of weird. Like, yes, Lord, or something. I receive being chosen. Well, right then I had this, I had this tape, you know, this, this tape. The CDs weren't even invented yet. It's way back there. So I had this little cassette tape going of a guy named John Michael Talbot, who was a Catholic monk that plays the guitar. And he's playing in the background. Well, it was between songs when I said this to the Lord. So it was totally silent in my apartment in between songs. And I said, I receive being chosen. And I was thinking, why would you say it like that? And all of a sudden, the next song started. I can believe it. Because you are chosen, called to be holy. I was like, my eyes popped open. I was like, what? God is singing to me through a cassette tape? Can he do that? That's right. That's right, Rick. Jesus said to the people in his day, if you don't worship me, the rocks will cry out. And do you know that cassette tapes are actually made out of the crushed sand? And it's true. Those are the rocks crying out to God. If you won't. My friend down the street, he pastors a great church. He was raised in a theology that said that God doesn't do miracles today. God, you know, the, the Holy, it's called cessationism, which means cessationism means ceasing. That with the last apostle, the miracle stopped. You can't prove that from the Word of God, even remotely. Any scriptures that are used to say that miracles have ceased for today can be shown to be untrue very, very easily. Because it's just pure unbelief. Unbelief will make you crazy and make you miss out on so much of God. But he's one of my best friends. And he's a cessationist at the time. And I'm a charismatic, tongue-talking, crazy guy, right? And uh, But he started hungering and thirsting after more of God. And that will get you into trouble. Because Jesus is going to pour his rivers out on you. The Holy Spirit. And I remember we were at a hotel, in a hotel room up in Anaheim. We were going to this convention together with Jack Caver's church uh, up in Van Nuys. And it was about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I wake up, and I smell coffee. And I see a light coming under the door. So I open the door, and there he is at 3 a.m. with a Bible open, drinking coffee. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's reading 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 which is Paul writing to the Corinthian church about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the miracles and the healings and speaking in tongues and prophecy and all that. And he's reading and he said, I do not know how for all these decades we interpreted these scriptures the way we have. It's so obvious that the miracles are still for today. I'm sorry, I'm dancing around the hotel room going, Woo! Get him, Jesus! But it was because he had been trained and the seminary he was raised in by people he trusted that these things aren't for today. But when he started thirsting after God, thirsting after more, the Holy Spirit opened his eyes. So once he came to believe it, now he's in trouble because he's pastoring a church. 
And he's already taught his whole congregation against these things. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when Jesus makes himself so real to you in whatever area of your life he's calling you to? Like my, my wife, who had a full-ride scholarship to the uni- of university, and the Lord spoke to her and said, I want you to turn down the scholarship, I want you to go to mission school, and I want you to go be a, a missionary. That did not go over well with her, with her daddy. What is she going to do? Well, that's when you have to decide whether I'm going to follow my parents uh, or anybody else in my life, my husband, my wife, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, fiance, that want me to go to certain direction. But Jesus has made it so plain to me that he wants me to go this way. See, they were all divided. And I love what happened. By the way, she went on the mission field. You read down here and it says, Then the officers came, verse 45, back in John 7, The officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to him, Why have you not brought him? The officer said, No man ever spoke, spoke like this man. And the Pharisees, who were the religious people of the day, answered him and said, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? It's like, oh, well, dear, forgive us that if you don't believe in him, we can't. They were just so arrogant, so prideful, and so controlling. That's what religion does to you. But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. It's like, wow, you guys are mean. Nicodemus, now you remember Nicodemus in John chapter 3 is a Pharisee who came to Jesus by night to have a conversation with him. He was a seeker. But he did it by night because he could get in a lot of trouble with his Pharisee buddies. Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said, Does not our law judge a man? Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? In other words, why don't we let him come on in and talk to us and let's see? And they answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Jesus will make himself incredibly plain to you at times, and you're going to have to decide whether you're going to follow Jesus or not. And I tell you, every time you follow him, he's going to pour out such a blessing on you. And you're going to grow in your Christian faith. And God's going to reveal himself to you in greater degrees and greater measures because you're choosing him over them. He'll do it every time. He's faithful to do that. So my friend uh, came to his church and started teaching on these things. And he lost half his church. This is the hardest time in his life. Precious people that he loved, and they loved him. And he, he did it over a three-year period. He went really slow. He's not like me. I would have came out on one Sunday and said, I've been doing it all wrong. Here we go. Right. He took three years. <laughs> still, still lost half his congregation, but now they are a vibrant, spirit-filled church where people are getting healed and Miracles are happening. It's just such a wonderful vibe. But it almost cost him his ministry and almost cost him his life. What are you going to do when Jesus reveals himself to you and says, follow me? And it's inconvenient, it's uncomfortable, and it's going to cost you. You notice here that Jesus, this is really important. Jesus did not say... That he would put a lake in you and I. He said he would put rivers 
Christianity is not a lake. It's rivers of living water. You know, you know what happens to water that just sits, right? Have you ever, have you ever been in a pool of, been by a pool of water that's just been stagnant for a long time? What, what, tell, give me some of the characteristics. Smells. Mosquitoes. Algae. Huh? The color. It's nasty. Okay, let me tell you something. If you're a believer and you are not ministering, praying, evangelizing, encouraging, sharing your faith, and getting outside of yourself and letting the rivers flow, you're smelly and stinky and you look nasty. There's little gnats that fly around you. And you come to church and you just criticize. Hey, get out and save somebody. Go pray for somebody. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been abused. I know. Me too. Look, you know one time, I'm going to tell you about this ugly congregation that I used to pastor. It's not you. It's them. And I remember one time I was being criticized and criticized and criticized. And it hurts to be criticized. Doesn't it? Raise your hand. You ever been criticized? Okay, let's do this. Put your hands down. How many of you like it? Raise your hands. When, you're, when you are criticized. Yeah. What does it feel like when you're criticized? Shout it out. Hurtful, upset, angry, stinky. You want to fight back. So I was being criticized. When you're in leadership, look, a teacher, a parent, a coach, a, you know, a pastor, president, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, a governor, you know, you're on the, you're on a, the home association board, doesn't matter. If you're making decisions, people are going to criticize you. It just comes with the territory because everybody thinks they know how to do it better. In fact, we're going to, we, we decided we were going to develop a t-shirt called church consultant at one point in, in our church history. We thought, why don't we just, why don't we just produce t-shirts called church consultant and we'll hand them out to people as they walk in. Isn't that horrible? That's stinky, by the way. And we didn't do it. But this one time I told Jesus, I don't, I don't want to preach anymore. I'm not going to preach anymore. And he, he told me that I had to do it. Of course. And I said, okay, but I'm not going to teach anything that's going to help them. That's what I actually told Jesus. I actually said that. I remember I was in the, in the church. I'm kneeling down in front of the cross, and I'm saying, Jesus, please help me. And, and he, he said, you know, you've got to preach. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to do like an Old Testament survey, some real boring, irrelevant thing. This, you know, we'll go over genealogies or something, you know. So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. I hope that helps you, right? I just had, I, did, I was so hurt and so mad. And then finally I just humbled myself and I said, okay, Jesus, I'll do whatever you say. See, that's freedom, by the way. Complete surrender is complete freedom. And doggone it, I wish I hadn't said that. Because you know what he said back to me? Tonight, I want you to teach them how beautiful my body is. I said, well, I don't even believe that. <laughs> how am I going to teach something I don't even believe? And he said, by faith. Like, oh, darn, he got me. Because I, I know how to do things by faith and not feelings. And so I didn't even study. I was so mad. I went home. I actually did this. I opened the door. My dog came up to me, and I kicked my dog. I know. It was a long time ago. I'm a PETA member now. Just leave me alone. 
Actually, I'm not. Anyway. I kicked my dog. I took a walk around the backfield and I was kicking tumbleweed. I was so mad. I got to go help these people. I didn't even have any scriptures. And so I started heading to the church to preach. And one of my neighbors said to me, hey, John, where are you going? It was a Friday night and it was a Friday night meeting. I said, I'm going to go preach the gospel. And I was all excited. And I'm walking on the sidewalk going, that was weird. Why are you happy? And then I pull up to the church and I'm sitting in my car going, oh, God, I don't want to do this. I open, I remember opening the door to the church and all the people, I saw the people and all of a sudden this river began to flow out of my heart. It was love. I'm hugging people. I'm kissing people. It's so good to see you. And as I'm doing this, I'm thinking, this is bizarre. There's the person who's criticized me the most and I love them. I want to hate them, but I love them. I'm like, what's going on? And then I go to preach and all these scriptures about the body of Christ and how beautiful and powerful and awesome. The most amazing thing in the earth is the body of Christ. And all these scriptures are flowing out of me and people are shouting and I'm shouting. And then the service was over. I go out of the church, out the back door. I shut the door and I said to Jesus, what was that? And he said, that was my agape love. I said, I need to live on that. <laughs> I need more of that. Like every day of my life and every relationship, I need more of that. This is what Jesus is talking about here. The rivers of living water flowing out of our hearts. We're not supposed to be common, normal, average people. Anybody can get offended and quit. Anybody can get criticized and criticized back. Anybody can get hurt and just sit sour soak and begin to criticize. Anybody can rehearse and nurse and curse their past and be stagnant in their present. Anybody can do that. Or you can get back in the game and start redeeming your past by helping people today. Do you know it's the scars of Jesus that qualified him to be the Savior of the world? That's what the book of Hebrews says. Because of his scars, he can be the captain of our salvation. It's your scars that qualify you to be a greater minister. Don't get into self-pity and woe is me and get all stinky and nasty and gnats flying around. Nobody's going to want to be your friend. Or you can tap back into God. And let the river start to flow again and begin to feed people with your gifts of leadership and giving and preaching and worship leading and mercy and kindness and evangelism. and Stir those waters back up. Get them flowing out in your life again. I'm going to close with this. I love what Jesus says here in verse 37. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. It's open to anybody and everybody. Christianity is not a selective religion where you have to jump through a bunch of hoops and then you get qualified. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, anyone Come to me. And I will cause rivers of living water to flow out of your hearts. 
That might be you today for salvation. Where you've never come to Jesus before and today's your day. You might be somebody that's been walking with Jesus for a long time. And you need the rivers of the Holy Spirit to begin to flow through your heart again. And it can and will happen if you just yield to him and say, flow through my heart today, God. The rivers, the rivers of the Holy Spirit. Will you all stand with me this morning? I want to say something to those of you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. I'm going to step on a sacred cow right now. Is that what you do? You step on sacred cows? or you? What do you do with them? You burn them or something? Or... There, there's a phrase we use in Christianity, and I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to consider another interpretation of this. You know how we talk about hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Have you ever heard that scripture, Jesus talking about Beatitudes? They that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. We talk about thirsting after God and hungering after God. And I want to suggest something. Jesus said to the woman at the well that if you come to me, I will put a fountain of water in you and you will never thirst again. Jesus said that. I will put a fountain in you. You'll never thirst again. So why do we say, I want to be thirsty for God? I know the intent behind it. But I think it puts us into a beggar posture where God's way out there with water. And we're way over here. And we're going through a desert going, I'm I'm parched. Trying to get to God. When Jesus said, if you came to me, I put a fountain in you and you'll never thirst again. What's going on here? Or here he says, Come to me and I will cause rivers of living water to flow out of your heart. Why would we be thirsty? You're all looking at me like a cow at a new gate. You don't know if you ought to go through it or not. Here's what I believe. Here's what I believe. I believe if you are are hungry or thirsty, it's only because we're not communing with God. Bottom line. Because if we're communing with God, you're doing your 30 for 30, you're seeking Him, you're reading the Word, you're worshiping Him, you're in fellowship, you come here with the body of Christ and the presence of God comes. If you're in the flow and you're in the river, how could you be thirsty and hungry? Because you're drinking and eating on a daily basis. After you eat a big old honking pizza by yourself, are you hungry? After you chug a big, you know, energy drink, are you thirsty? Kind of hyped, but are you thirsty? No. Because you're eating and drinking. Hello? So as we stay close to Christ, the water comes out of the rock. And we drink and we're satisfied. We eat. And our souls are filled and we're satisfied. Before my wife went through cancer, the day before she went through cancer, the Lord spoke to me and said, feed your soul because the journey is long. And I know what that means. Get into prayer, get into the word of God and feed your soul because the journey is long. I didn't know what that meant. And the next day she was diagnosed with cancer and we went through that whole year. That was the deepest valley we've ever gone through. But do you know what? My soul stayed full. I stayed close to God. 
He fed my soul through his presence and through his word and hers as well. And we came through victoriously because we fed on Christ and we drank from him. So maybe you need to come to Christ today. You've never drank and you've never eaten from Christ himself. He's here to offer you salvation. Come just as you are. All he wants is your yes. I'm going to slide down front here, right in front of this pony wall. And if you have never come to Jesus Christ, come down and meet me down there. I'm going to pray with you. And you're going to experience the peace of Christ. For the, for the rest, let's just spend a few moments here and let's just worship. And let's let the rivers begin to flow in this place. Let the rivers of living water begin to flow in this place. Let the joy break through the depression and the peace break through the confusion. Let physical healing begin to break into your body, coming out of those rivers of living water. Amen? Well, let's just begin to worship a little bit. Just about four or five minutes here. Let's just worship and let the rivers begin to flow in this place. I'm going to slide down here. Prayer teams, if you'll come down as well, maybe you want to slip down and have prayer this morning. And they're going to pray for the sick. They'll pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They'll pray for a breakthrough in your life. So you can stay in worship. You can slide down and be prayed for. And I'll be right down there for anybody who wants to come give their life to Christ today.